Hi, everybody. Welcome to Kip Nugget. My name is Callie. I'll be one of your hosts. I'm here with my husband, Hagana. Hello. Before we get started today, let's take a moment just to thank our sponsors. We're so, so fortunate to have such a generous sponsor, Tuck Barn Yoga, Philadelphia's premier barn yoga studio, Bar That Burns, Yoga That Melts. Okay, glad we got that out of the way. Um, Hagana, I, I often say that the internet broke us. And we discuss the internet um, often. So today, I think that you wanted to talk about how the internet broke us or whether it broke us. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because it's timely. You know, obviously, it's a, playing a big role in how the election is going to turn out. Also, recently on Netflix, the there's a, I guess it's a documentary called The Social Dilemma, where a bunch of people who were instrumental in kind of the early stages of and in the growth of social media and social media companies, you know, like Facebook, Instagram, a bunch of others, Google, those companies, they're all in this documentary and it's a very a doom and gloom documentary. And parts of it are a little overly dramatic, at least in my opinion, but they make a lot of really good points. And one thing that it made me think of was that Facebook has, it's, it's not what it used to be, right? So, what, okay, first let me ask you, what year did you get on Facebook? Okay, so I remember. I distinctly remember one of my friends from high school who went to a different college. Uh, in This was 2005. Okay. Messaged me somehow. AIM, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I think it was AIM. Messaged me on AIM. My username was longtoes14, by the way, since we got to get that out of the way. Hagan, what was your AIM username? My AIM username was do the hokey pokey. Oh my God, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, my friend messaged me on AIM and he said, hey, you've got to get on this thing. Um, it's really fun. We can like share our pictures. But at that point in time, you had to have a college email address. To so you were in the high, what, high school senior? No, no, no I was in college. Started? Oh, you were in college. I was okay. in college. So I was, a, high, okay. I was a freshman in college okay. um, at Truman in my dorm room. And, and I got on Facebook. Around 2005? Yeah, it was 2005. But you still, at that at this point in time, you still needed the college email address to get on. Mm-hmm. When did you get on it? I want to say it was 2003. So I graduated high school 2001. It was around my third, was that junior year at UVA? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it spread across campus really fast. But at first, it was kind of just a directory, right? Like, if, yeah. at least in 2003, it was... Like, because, you know, I actually this morning, because of this whole documentary, I was like, wait, I don't even remember what Facebook looked like back then. And like what you like, what you actually saw when you went to like Facebook.com. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure if you went back then, you, I think you maybe started at your own profile. There was no feed. The feed no, was the feed, that was I remember later. when the feed that was, was added. Deal. Yeah. yeah, I but, remember when the feed was for added. For the first you know, few years of its existence, it was just like a pure directory. I remember my senior year after everyone's done caring about college, like my last semester of senior year, I would look look up people to like ask. Okay, I, I was I heard Astronomy 101 was a real easy class. It was oh my, my senior God. year. So I never went and I just like looked for people that had, I think you could maybe look for people in your classes or something. Somehow. You could. Yeah, you that's could. what it was. Yeah, yeah you could. Yep. It was, I think there were, it wasn't like a group, but you could find people in your classes. Right, yeah. yeah. And so that's what I used it for. I looked up people in my class and asked them when, when are the tests, when are the exams, et cetera. Um, but other than that, I, and I vaguely remember 
beginning to connect to people at other schools too. Right. Like, you know, people from high school maybe. Right, right. Um, but yeah, for a long time, it was essentially a directory. There were certainly no ads. Well, but when you think about why Facebook was created as a way to rate women based on their appearance. Like R-A-T-E, right? Rate. <laughs> R-A-T-E. Yes. No, but, but that's, I mean, that's why Zuckerberg created it, right? He wanted hot or not. Like, that's what it was. Yeah, I guess they. I guess the upperclassmen wanted to see all the incoming freshmen. Girls. Right, yeah. right. So, um, so back in the day, it, it was more just like a directory. And then, I remember like when MySpace started going out of favor, and people started writing on walls more and creating Facebook groups. And then we had the feed. Right, because the wall was a later invention. The too, wall was later. Back yeah. Two thousand three to two thousand five. The important thing was your aim away message. Right. And, and like the and I, I know people had like like song quotes or like quizzes or in their right. little well, profiles. The, the song quotes back in the day were were vital, right? Your mm-hmm. MySpace profile song? Whew. Yeah, I remember MySpace being really big 2005, 2006. Yeah, and, and then obviously, yeah. So, okay. So back then, it was more of a, it was used more as a means of connecting and um, giving you contact information for people that maybe you don't see very much. Mm -hmm. And that's, I remember why when I graduated college, I didn't get off of Facebook because um, despite there being some red flags back then, because I remember wanting to get off of it because my friends were kind of going through a period where I didn't want... Oh, that's want, interesting. I never had that I It was all just drinking photos at that point in time, like in my, you know, social circle. And I was just kind of getting... I got... I started feeling left out if I wasn't invited to the party or if I didn't go or whatever. I was working and a lot of my friends were still in college. So I just had a different life and, um, and different responsibilities. And so I remember wanting to get off of it, but I was like, mm, I can't. This is like the only way I know how to contact Natasha or whomever. Mm-hmm. And and then it evolved more. Yeah, so the late 2000s, right? Let's say 2006 to 2010. Then there's a lot of photos. There's tagging. Yeah, the tagging is was huge. And I'll, I'll, I spent a lot of that time in law school. And back then, there was like no fear of, oh, a possible employer might see your drinking photos. No, like no one cared. Um, I don't think there was much of a good way for employers to like find your Facebook stuff back then. Cause right. Well, and it just wasn't as prevalent. Like it wasn't used in the way it wasn't ubiquitous. Like now everybody's parents have Facebook and right. every person has Facebook. It really Facebook. used to be it college. Really, yeah, it was yeah. mostly young people in college or recently graduated. So the audience was different. But mm-hmm. now that the platform's expanded so much, obviously... It's funny, though. I always kind of giggle. I saw a meme last week or two weeks ago that said, like, remember when your parents were warning you, don't post those pictures on Facebook. You're, everybody will be able to see those. They live forever on the Internet, you know, back in 2008, 2009. And now, like, so many kids tell their parents, stop posting this stuff because their parents are posting racist or, you know, derogatory things on Facebook. It's just a weird role reversal. Anyway, I thought that meme was funny. Um, yeah, but so now let's talk about a little bit about what Facebook is now. Like Facebook as we know it today, it's the, the now the feed is kind of like the main pro- well, product that we consume, that users consume. Okay, right? I think we know what Facebook is now. Why do you use Facebook? Why do you still use Facebook, Kagana? 
So I, so on a personal level, I still um, connect with a lot of my friends through Facebook. So I, I'd say I'm probably closer to my law school friends in general than my undergrad friends. Mm-hmm. And you know, back when I was in law school, that's how we kind of like connected. Um, I remember like but, telling each other. But about what things. does that mean to you? Connection, like you connect to your friends. What does that mean? Well, I think it means. Okay, to kind of flip that on its head a little bit, all the reasons that you may be interested in going to a 5, 10, 15-year, 20-year high school reunion, you don't really need anymore. Like, I have a general sense of what most people are doing from high school, college, and law school, too. Because, you know, if someone has a baby or someone gets a doll, you kind of you see that kind of stuff. You see milestones. Right. Um, I think when they started introducing birthdays, that was, like, a big deal, right? Because then you kind of like knew when people's birthdays were and that was kind of whatever and then once a year you get a bunch of messages saying happy birthday that's you know um but why do i new, you, use it now well there's that the personal use right staying in touch kind of like seeing what people are up to and then there's our business use obviously um and that's a completely different angle and that's really i guess where the money in facebook is though is is the advertising and the user data yeah okay so why do i use facebook i'm going to be honest i like to perform I like to perform. I like to perform when I teach bar and yoga. Um, I personally like when we're funny on Facebook. Like when you post something on oh, my okay, wall. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, I do like trying to be funny on Facebook. Yeah, I like to be, I like to perform. I think I like to be funny. I want people to think we're funny. Um, and that's weird vanity, right? Like, why do I? why should I want to look at my Facebook or the comments on my Facebook as like a satisfied consumer rather than the person who's actually living it? That's so weird. It's no, like a it's weird, weird, it's a weird role reversal that I'm like watching the, these, or I'm, you know, reflecting or looking back at these milestones in my life as this like satisfied customer, like, Ooh, this was such a fun event and this is such a pretty venue. I look really cool or, Ooh, my friends are funny. They're posting funny comments. It's, it's, it's dopamine for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's certainly one big use of it is the vanity, the dopamine. Uh, I know we both also have definitely used Facebook to vent. Like when something really pisses us off in the news or we want to like say something Maybe in the past you would call a friend and talk about it, but now you can just blast it out into the world, right? Yeah, and I found that that can be really cathartic. I'm not sure if it's it's useful to anyone but me, but I will say my weird rants and and vents on Facebook have opened real dialogue because as we've talked in prior episodes, I straddle these two worlds and... I have two very different audiences okay, for Facebook. Let, I think it's useful if you could describe again what you mean by your two Facebook rules. Maybe people haven't listened to the past okay. episodes, but okay, so, this, I, think, I think this is so striking. Okay, so I grew up in rural Illinois. So I have a, a one side of my Facebook feed is sort of the Midwestern God-fearing group. Mm-hmm. And then I have, on the other side, sort of my professional colleagues and friends and people that I've friended as like an adult. And they are 
generally speaking on the east coast or the west coast because we lived in california before philadelphia and they're typically white collar you know professionals so it is striking to see my facebook feed because you go from antifa setting oregon fires or wayfair has a human trafficking arm wayfair as in wayfair the furniture company uh, has a human trafficking arm and the deep state is, you know, corrupting America to the thoughtful, like, anti-racist post or, you know, New York Times articles or whatever. It is very different. Yeah, and I remember the time when you did not have those more white-collar, you know, your Ivy League classmates on Facebook because you know before you went to law school but after I went to law school I remember a couple times you were like why do you like Facebook and I would show you like witty things that my friends said or like a really insightful article that someone showed and you're like and then you showed me mine you showed me yours and you're like mine's just like baby pictures and (laughs) more baby pictures and if I'm lucky some dogs and then absolutely nothing else but then now you have kind of both worlds in your Facebook yeah yeah so um so I've gone through periods of time well, now those two audiences clash oftentimes when I post those rants. Um, and it's not that it's not that that's a bad thing. I feel like because I am in this sort of unique position, it's actually one place. And I'm not saying I'm great at facilitating discussion, but I try not to alienate folks for their views because I want people to converse and I want them to talk. Um, but I think that you see that discourse uh, play out on my Facebook feed and it is, yeah, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, it is really strange when kind of different worlds collide and people start arguing from different phases of your life about yeah. something very contentious and uh, people can get nasty really fast. Oh, I... Like, I, at, at worst, you know that they're a friend of a friend, right? Like anyone, at least in theory, right? But now that it's open to everyone, who knows? But um, at least for a long time, the assumption was, okay... Everyone that is writing on your wall is a friend, so it must be someone you are somewhat friendly with in person, have some kind of connection to. So you're at most two degrees separated, and right. people can really get nasty. And that's why, Hagana, I got so upset with you a few months ago, because we are very personal on our Facebook feeds. I talk about depression, anxiety. I talk about, you know, our relationship. We joke. We... But we give people this sort of intimate view into our lives and you let outsiders in because you friended all those people from that. I didn't friend. Okay, first of all, to catch people, you know, there are a couple people that I have become Facebook friends with um, that I've certainly met in person. But then like, you know, in my exchanges with them, their friends who I've definitely never met would start friend requesting me because we, I don't know, argue about something on, on someone's wall. And then like, yeah, I, w- I wasn't really picky about who I'm Facebook friends with. So, like, if I get a request and, like, I see that we have a common friend, I usually hit accept. Now, I've definitely stopped doing that because you're right. Like, why am I sharing my personal life with these people I've never met? Right. And, and so and, I've definitely stopped doing and that. It, and it it backfired. We had we had people who were on our face, on your Facebook wall, saying really mean things about you and about me. And... I'm like, Hagada, who are these people? Yeah, and to be clear, we're like, you and I are built a little bit differently. I, I'm a lot more thick-skinned about, I mean, I 
I feel like I've been reading internet comments in different forums and forums for a while. So I just know how people can get, and like, yeah, and you take I, things very personally. Right. Well, because why are they so mean? I don't understand. It's just a person on the internet is, is my view. Right. Like, but but, but yeah, for, no, I understand. Me, yeah. for me, my focus is always on, oh my God, a person sat there and wrote that. Like, is that that person's true like nature? And that's what's shocking and scary to me is that someone actually has those thoughts and they've been, you know, not sharing them until we have the internet that comes about and creates an easy way for them to share. And so it's it's not necessarily that it's an internet comment. It's just the fact that people actually think this way. Okay, but now I want to talk about that because, you know, we started this whole thing off with you saying, you know, the internet broke us. Now, there's certainly a level of conversation, discourse, whatever you call it, that people are willing to put into writing on the internet, especially when they can be anonymous, that you would never go up to a stranger and say in person. Right. Like, so let's talk about anonymous internet comments or like the, oh my God, if you, if you read the comments on a, like a public newspaper article, especially local newspapers. It's it, insanity. It is just. It's insanity. It, I literally lose hope in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm like this. Is, and, and that's how I came to that conclusion. The internet broke us. Like we are not, who are these people? But Mm. you told me, you actually made me feel better about this about two or three weeks ago when you said, oh, most of those accounts and those comments are fake and it's like Russian trolls or it's just trolls. And so that made me feel better that it wasn't like our neighbor. Yeah, so I don't don't know if it's a majority, but a lot of them, a huge chunk of them are fake, but a, a huge chunk of them, they're just people just, you know, under the shield of anonymity being jackasses and just saying whatever they want. And um, it's interesting. I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, um, but it was either a football player or a basketball player. They shared um, direct messages that they got, and I think they messed something up in a game. Like, I don't know, maybe they turned over the ball or something. Let's say it was a basketball player. And then they showed the comments from anonymous fans, and, oh, my God, the level of hatred. I mean, okay, so this was a black basketball player, and the comment was just like, you n-word n-word monkey n-word how do you do that with the ball you don't deserve life you n-word go back to being a slave it was nuts it was insane and see, shit and see like when when someone does that to me i can only focus on oh my god who is so broken and angry that they are able to sit there and like type out those words that is appalling. Yeah, no, it's, ter- it's absolutely terrifying. And, it's terrifying. And, like, when you see th- that sort of rhetoric multiply, you start wondering whether you're the only sane person left in the world. And that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. But do you think that the internet and these internet comments, do you think that it's provided people with a platform to just, you know, show who they really are? Or do you think that the internet has sort of created this vitriol and this anger and this frustration? Like, has it created it or did it just reveal it? I think it, I think it mostly revealed it. Like, we definitely have options now for expressing these types of things that we didn't before. Like, before, maybe 50 years ago, that same guy yells the N-word at his television or something, right? Yeah. He's by himself and he yells at his television. Um, 
I don't think the internet, cre- I mean, obviously the internet didn't create racism or anything like that. Right, but, no, of course not. Of but course not. now people can write those things. They can, I don't know, if there's satisfaction in seeing it published, you know, or whatever. And not only that, they can find other people that are like that, which is the really dangerous part, right? So um, something like the incel movement, I don't know if you want to call it a movement, but remember Elliot Roger, what, five, ten years ago? I don't even know how many years ago that was. You know, he just got radicalized by these weird fringe groups that that felt they were all men that felt like they were entitled to sex or something, but they were being denied it. And he what went and shot a bunch of girls at a college in Santa Barbara. Yeah. And that definitely does not happen 30 years ago, right? Because if he's doing t- saying that kind of thing 30 years ago, the other people in the town are probably like, "Hey, man, that's crazy. Just cut it out," or yeah, something like that, right? Yeah, but I think that that's the important thing to mention here. The fact that there's no feedback unless it's just feedback that further confirms what you are thinking. Like, for example, let's say you have a racist coworker in an office setting. That race, and I've had racist coworkers. Let's say my racist coworker comes into my office and says something racist. I say, hey, that's not cool. That's wrong, or whatever. They get that feedback from a person who is normal. Mm-hmm. Right. But now, no, I mean, few people are working in an office or maybe there are people at work, but they're, you know, not discussing these things. But you don't get that same feedback because you're interacting with only people whose response is, yeah, man, or yes, that's the way I think. And it just further cements that those crazy thoughts. Yeah. So, yeah. So, for instance, you know say there's a newspaper article, right? And they all have Facebook comments underneath them now. And you say something really racist. Hopefully the majority of the, the feedback is, hey, don't be a racist, right? But there's definitely going to be some that are like, yeah, you're just really f- speaking the truth. Like you're not afraid to, you know. And, yeah, you're telling it like it is. And so the feedback is, okay, fine. There are these two sides. It's, they seem equal to you. And hey, I must have been right. Not, no, right. you're just racist. Right, right. But I, I think that that was... The point of that documentary is that the way these algorithms work, there there is a reason for that for that cement, right? The algorithm presents these people with information that they might like, which usually is, you know, another fringe group or another right. extremist group or whatever, or another article with comments like the ones that they've made. And so you, they go down this rabbit hole and then they think that they're right and they live in that reality. Yeah. So one of the things that I think the the documentary overdoes a little bit is they assign a lot of intent to these social media companies. Like they're intentionally like that's not it's not that it's just if they see, let's say, a conspiracy theory that just kind of catches fire on the Internet. Right. Like on Facebook, like, you know, in within an hour, a thousand people believe what are the crazy things now that. Antifa setting Antifa, fire or something? Yeah, leftist, radical leftists or, are, setting are setting the, the fires. Wildfires, right? they, if they see a story that a thousand people all of a sudden share, they will start suggesting it because, oh, a lot of people are very interested in a short amount of time. It must be other people may be interested too. And that wasn't – it wasn't meant to, like, spread oh, disinformation. But, right. But the end result is every bit as bad. It, right. It's just it – gets, it gets spread. Right. And, and I don't think that the intent was ever anything besides making money. Right. And engagement. Yeah, just keeping the eyeballs. Yeah. It's all about attention. Like it's attention. attention. And and when you think about how 
kids are using these platforms, you wonder if, if, uh, and they mentioned this in the documentary, but mental health has suffered and you see more kids. And anecdotally, I've seen this, you know, anecdotally kids have more depression, more anxiety, more suicide, more, you know, eating disorders, et cetera. And so you start to wonder if maybe a platform that's used like a, um, you know, a utility almost should be regulated so that we are protecting kids. I mean, we protect kids from advertisements, right? We protect kids from a lot of things, but we're not protecting kids in any way, shape or form on these platforms. It's just a free for all. Yeah. And so the optimistic part of me hopes that this is kind of like a transition period, like a learning period for us. Cause it used to be you could put Joe Camel in his cigarette commercials in between cartoons. And then it took a few years, but then people were like, wait, that's a bad idea yeah, right. <laughs> for getting, you know, teenagers hooked on cigarettes. And then they outlawed that. You can't advertise liquor between certain hours or maybe it'll, I don't know, something like that. Right. Um, so none of those restrictions right now, none of those regulations are in place. I think it'll take some time to, for that part of it to catch up. But, but do, I, I love your optimism, <laughs> but that a means that we have to have representatives who live in a reality that we all live in. And can you really assume that we're going to have that? Like we we have representatives today who, I mean, we have a president who retweets that, you know, all kinds of conspiracy theories. Like, can we really rely on our legislators to be able to discern what's real and what's not, what's factual and what's not? Because that's who we have to rely on for regulations. And I just don't. Yeah. Okay. So the optimistic part of it obviously <laughs> said, you know, hopefully 15, 20 years from now, like we'll have a lot more of these protections in place for children. But the pessimistic part of me, the way that's actually going to happen is something like so many kids like do the Tide Pod challenge and die. Like they like, right. Remember like, like the, there was like that planking challenge, like all these ridiculous challenges or like, ice no, water. they're choking. They the choking. The choking. Or, they literally choke. Or there's that tripping thing where like they like sweep your legs out from under you and so you fall out and you, and then kids start hitting their heads or something and sometimes they get paralyzed. Like, yeah, but it's gonna take a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, honestly. it would take. It's gonna take some pretty. But but I mean we, okay. So optimistic side of me says yes, Hagan is so true. But then we have Sandy Hook, and I always come back to that example because we literally had a person, a grown adult male, go in and execute execute shoot in the back of the head a room full of little kids and we have people who deny that that happened and that's become a thing and then we have those kinds of shootings all over our country and we do nothing we do nothing we say no so to me even if kids are killing themselves with a Tide Pod challenge, we're going to have certain legislators who say, well, this is bad parenting. Well, the kids chewed the Tide Pods. The internet didn't make them. 
it was their choice. Like I can just see all the different narratives that will be thrown out there. So I, I do not feel the same way. I feel that our government is just as broken as, as our society. And I don't see, I don't see a path forward without some kind of real uprising. Okay, let's say you, in a fantasy world, you're the new chair of the Consumer Internet Protection Agency or something. Um, what, what would you want? What kind of regulations would you want on on internet on internet advertising? I mean, I'm not sure. I can't even. You like, know, well, this... first of all, hold on. There's got to be some right now, right? Because it used to be like YouTube was the okay the wild wild west. Like right. pedophiles would go on there and just. Or like I mean, parents would do like, quote unquote, pranks on their kids. That was just it was just child abuse, and right. it used to be all that was right. okay. And now I hopefully I'm pretty sure some of it is illegal. I mean, yeah, obviously I would want to get rid of child pornography, but like, you have to change somehow. And I'm not sure you do this through regulation or just through like education at school or something, but you have to change the end goal. Right now, the end goal is likes and like comments right for all users that's my end goal when we perform on facebook i want people to like it i want people to get a chuckle i want people to laugh when you're 12 years old you put on a cute little sexy dance on instagram on the reels because you want people to think you're sexy and cute and you want them to like you but the end result is you get a lot of creepers. I mean, how many creepers have, and let's not, it's, I'm sorry, it's all men. Let's not just like categorize that and caveat that out. It is all men. Like it is all men. We get dick pics on, from our Facebook classes. We get the most inappropriate comments. And these people coming onto this platform where we're literally just trying to help people get through a pandemic by offering them free yoga and bar classes. And we get men objectifying our teachers, sending messages, and it is insanity. But that's what you, those girls that are 12 years old who don't even have the, when I was 12, I didn't even have the kind of mental awareness to understand like I knew that I was being sexualized but I didn't know what that meant like I remember even when I was 21 and we were dating and I was wearing short shorts and you're like Kelly like you know all those guys are yeah, like every guy's gonna stare at your butt yeah and I was like what these are just really comfortable shorts <laughs> oh little Kelly <laughs> <laughs> I know naive Kelly is so cute but um, but when you're 12, you just don't even have that. You don't think about a 40-year-old man watching those videos. You think about your crush at school or your friends, and you want to be pretty and cute. And so, okay, well, that's not something you can fix. Like everyone seeks the approval of others, especially right? the younger you are. Right, but like you, if you were seeking the approval of those in your circle, that makes sense. Right. That's just middle school, right? Right. Like if you're just in middle school and your platform, your audience is just those other middle schoolers, like kind of how Facebook used to be. It was just your close friends, right? 
but now your audience is, I mean, with TikToks and the reels on Instagram, your audience is literally everyone, which could be a 40 year old pedophile. Um, that's, I think one of the issues. So maybe there's a way to like narrow that world for young children. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, maybe young children shouldn't be on it at all until a certain age. I mean, they're not supposed to be. It's supposed to be like 13, but God, 13 is... But but even just banning it, they're still going to get on it. It's like they're going to figure out a way to, you know, you have to just check a box that Mm -hmm. you're of age. And there's no matter what, they're going to get on it. So it's got to be regulated in a safe way, but it can't be what it is today because I just don't think kids even have the bandwidth to consider the consequences of what they're putting out there. And they shouldn't have to. They're kids. They're little. Why should they have to think about pedophiles watching them or, you know, cyberbullying or kids committing suicide? It's like, but I think when you're living with those incentives, and I feel this as an adult, depression and anxiety kicks in really quickly because you start comparing your life to everybody else's best life. And I think that ultimately, like, if we didn't have it for the business, I wouldn't be on social media. Yeah, you've said that a lot of times, yeah. I wouldn't be on it. And and maybe it's just because I'm not wired to be on it. Like, maybe I am too sensitive, like you said. But I don't think I would be on it without the business. And it's because of mental health. I wonder how many people know about the business side of Facebook. Like, so, okay, we're, you know, users, like, personally. Right. But um, we also use Facebook to advertise, right? Yeah. And we use Instagram it's, it, mostly. It's, which is essentially yeah, it's Facebook. It's, Facebook. <laughs> it's, it's all the same thing. Um, but, but one of the things that the documentary talks about is something called lookalike audiences. And they, you know, I think rightfully so, say it's pretty scary. Basically, if you have, like, a list of 500 people, um, they could be your existing clients or whatever, they can basically anal- analyze all those people by Facebook data points and then find other people that fit that profile. And now this was a big deal back in the 2016 election because a lot of the Brad Parscale who led Trump's um, online digital marketing, he was a master at this. He found the people somehow, psych or whatever, um, that were like most likely to either, they're either on the fence about Hillary and so they were at risk of staying home or they would kind of like stoke up these fears and you know they would get turnout from people who were more likely to vote for Trump. But it's just as effective, if not more so, for consuming products. And so Facebook gives advertisers really, really powerful tools. And we use those. And there's an argument to be made that as a consumer, that actually benefits you. Like, so you know me, I buy a lot of kitchen products. Like kitchen, <laughs> I like to cook. I'm a sucker for like kitchen products. You buy a lot of kitchen products, okay? Or you spend all of our okay, money no, on even, kitchen products. I, I, it's not even possible. Like kitchen products are cheap, first of all. Um, but I like getting those ads because those are relevant to me. You, I know, get fitness ads, and some of those are relevant to you. So there's that's like that's all this working as it should work, right? Because essentially, marketing is just connecting people who want something with the thing that they want. But again, there's like that really dark side to it, the the dangerous parts of it. Facebook's sort of starting to try and do things like labeling political messages and political advertisements. But again, it's still like, that's why I keep saying this is like a weird transition period where we're not used to these dangers yet. 
Like it used to be, I don't know if your parents ever said to you, but like, don't believe everything you see on television, right? Like that, that was like a common thing, I think, at least for me growing up as in elementary school, middle school, like don't, not everything on, you see on TV is real. Like everything from like gun violence to professional wrestling, which I watched a lot of as a kid, you know, people tell you, and people knew to tell you a lot of television is fake. It's just, you know. Right, but I think that, I think that you're missing the the key sort of foundational block in that in that point. You have to be able to discern what is real and what is not. Like that could be weaponized. Even that like quick little lesson, not everything you see on the internet is real. So people could weaponize that and say not everything you see on the internet is real. Bill Gates isn't a philanthropist. He's the one who's pulling all the strings to try to, you know, like that could be weaponized for the conspiracy well, theory. Actually, it's, it's already being weaponized. Right. And because some, the goal of some of these more evil, really, there's no other way to put it, evil people is not only is not everything real, nothing is real. You can't trust anything. Like that's yeah. the end goal. And a lot of people are that way, right? They won't, they, they don't believe it. I mean, coronavirus, they thought, oh, it's all a hoax. Like even this thing that has killed 2,000 people as of today, is not real right and that's that's just a lot of chaos that is i don't know what the solution is yet yeah um okay so back to the facebook audience so you're talking about a look-alike target which as a consumer is a good thing because that means you get relevant ads Mm -hmm. and you get your kitchen products i get my booty kickers Mm -hmm. and life is great but should those be available to advertisers? I mean, until there's a law against it, it, it is a little shocking how unregulated, like literally any person with a business page can run these ads. It's right. not like you have to go through the FCC and get things approved for being aired on the television, on television or whatever. Like, you know, cause there's like, obviously you can't like advertise porn or, whatever alcohol i mean there are obviously huge regulations but no uh, no there are terms and conditions that you have to adhere to as a facebook advertiser but those are not written by government those are written by facebook Mm -hmm. so you know the the i think one of facebook's terms is that you can't use before and after body shots for fitness this is just oh interesting okay of what what I know from our stuff. And I don't know if it still is or if it was back in the day, but that was one of the terms. You, so they would reject any ads that, um, you know, had a before and after shot. Um, my butt stuff boot camps always get rejected. And I'm not sure why. I don't know which term and condition it violates, but I'll make an, an Instagram ad about our butt stuff boot camps. It's like a three-week series. You named it butt stuff. Right, but it's like so clear it's an exercise class. Like it says three weeks to a stronger butt or okay, but glute if I was exercises. Like a producer that was trying to sneak something in. Right. No, I know. I get it. I get it. I get it. But if you look at our profile, you can tell that we like do fitness. Whatever. I totally get it. But that's one thing that's rejected. Right. So um so it's self governance. It's not governance by a, you know, a third party or an independent council it's self-governance and we all know how self-governance usually goes it's not even self-governance it's it's just it's it's just it's whatever will protect their interests for the moment you know 
Yeah. And ultimately, all of this is just money. It's just money. Capitalism is driving all of it. So what's going to maximize shareholder wealth for Facebook? That's what's going to dictate what's in those terms and conditions. And if it's really lucrative to create a 11-year-old teeny bopper dance show where little girls are sexualized on Netflix, they're going to make it. Okay. Now, I wonder how much of this is actually new. Because remember, we were over at a friend's place about a month ago, and we decided to watch 90s pop videos. <laughs> and we saw, like, Britney Spears, Christina, like, Mandy Moore. And, like, now being, what, you know, in our mid-30s, we, we were like, what the hell? Like... Yeah. That's like so exploitative. They all look 16. They all look they're like they're 95 pounds. Well, they were 16 and they were 95 pounds. Anorexia was in back then. Right. So like the only difference now is that anyone who's 16 can do this. Right. As that, opposed to just the ones that went through the Disney whatever. Right. But I think, nice I mean, ball. I think that there's a bit of a sort of informed consent. And granted, I'm not saying that Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera uh, as a 16 year old had the capacity consent to consent, but at least their parents did mm -hmm. right. Their guardians knew what was going on with those videos and they were being compensated for it. Right. They mm -hmm. were being paid very well to do those things again. Is it right? No, I'm just pointing out the difference when we have a platform where all kids aspire to be that and are living, dying, bullying, etc., to have status and to have follows and likes for possibly no money, I think that's weird. I think that's a problem. Yeah. So that was a weird conversation. How did we get here? What did we start with? Well, the, the, the social Yeah, I guess we started dilemma, with social. The, the, yeah. do, the documentary. Yeah. Um, do you think, I'll ask one more question. Do you think that we should stop um, as a business, stop advertising on Instagram or Facebook? It would be a massive disadvantage for us to stop doing social media ads. Yeah, I like agree. Social media ads are, are so, you get so much return on your dollar. Like, first of all, small businesses, like, you know, with, with what are your other options? Like, it's literally like billboards or like <laughs> if you can scrape together enough money, a local TV commercial. Like, yeah, it's there's not, not much. There's not much. I mean, you could do mailers, you and could the, do yeah, mailers, flyers, right. like flyering, like guerrilla marketing, like flyering in coffee shops and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But no, I mean, we do a social media ad about a series or whatever, and it always makes us tons of money. But I will say, that I at least have morals about it. Like, I don't ever try to, I, I mean, I do all of our Instagram stuff. Like, you don't do any of it. Um, so when I'm writing copy or I'm picking images or designing the social media posts, like, you see other fitness studios and what they do. They, like, highlight and emphasize insecurities and then they give you a they sell you the solution for x number of dollars so it's pretty manipulative like well they do the same thing that magazines have done for decades right right try it's, to sell you the perfect body try to sell you the method to get there right but it's it's all it's a it's 
that's always the objective and the sort of method, but the the effect is it makes people feel less than. It makes people feel like they are not good, that their body isn't needs fixing. And then they capitalize on that. They profit off of that insecurity. They create the insecurity mm-hmm. and then they profit off of it. So our ads, I never do that shit. I'm always like, you're enough. This is just going to be fun. It'll make you stronger. Like you're, you look great as is you feel great. We do this to, you know, help with anxiety or to just feel good in our bodies. Like I'm, I'm careful not, and I always use visuals that are inclusive and that show all different body types and different ages and genders and whatever. I try to be super mindful about that stuff, but because I don't want to create an insecurity and then profit off of that. It just feels so wrong, but that's what 99% of fitness companies do. Yeah. I mean, because it works, right? I mean, yeah, no, it does work, but is it right? Like, again, money is not always just the like correct outcome. Money is not the sort of benchmark for what is good. And the stuff I see on social media, God, yesterday I like lost it. I like ranted on social media because I kept seeing all of these diet ads and diet like quote unquote fitness influencers saying all this shit, making women feel less than and then saying, oh yeah, you should only be eating 1200 calories a day and make yourself really small. And I went crazy and I was like, oh my God, like why are you letting these people control you like why do we even let these people have any of our attention they don't deserve our attention like I've been teaching fitness for 14 years 15 years I don't know I've always like I've never once called myself a fitness influencer ever and I never will yeah I mean That's, I mean, that's ultimately on the consumers, though, isn't it? Right. But, like... Like, they wouldn't do it if it didn't work. No, I agree. But, like, I would like to bring awareness to the fact that this is what it is. Here's the equation. Here's the formula. Create insecurity. Sell solution. Profit. They don't care about you. They don't care about anything besides profit. So... Don't give them that control to create that insecurity. Like, remember when we went to business school and you were like, God, I'm such a more, I'm like an informed consumer now. I buy way less because you like were able to sort of observe and understand all of these different advertising techniques, these marketing methods, and you- And the psychology behind it, And the psychology behind it. And so- Okay, if you take any entrepreneurship class, they're like, okay- First, you need to find a pain point. Everyone talks about the pain point. Yeah. And then what's the solution? What's the relief? And then it's connecting those that is. Yeah. Um, now, but, obviously, if you take that further, you can always create a pain and then create the solution. To yeah, it. no. And, that, and that's what instead of recognizing and identifying a real pain, a real, oh, you don't you can't afford a car. I'm going to make a car for four thousand dollars that everybody can afford, whatever. You create the pain 
And it's all artificial. It's all just bullshit. It's stuff we don't need. It's stuff that's not going to help us or because the pain was never really there. Um, but yeah, I just feel, I feel like it's in my, my main end goal with social media right now is making at least the few people that follow me more aware of how manipulative all this stuff is and making them aware of the formula, the pain creation versus do you really need this? Um, and maybe that's a stupid goal, but that's, I don't know. That's what I do. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, it's ultimately on, on the consumers and all of us, right? As like, if we stopped consuming it, if we stopped buying it, it, they would not put any more money into it. So maybe awareness is the best we can do. Yeah. But, um, one thing that did strike me about the documentary was how outgunned everyone is like, Oh, nowadays you have the absolute best minds going into how do you make this more addictive? Um, even video games, it used to be just, it used video games used to be like a, one or two guys trying to make something fun, you know, like Pong or Mario. And now right. it's, they have all these psychologists on staff for like maximum addictiveness and like how, how, how much can you push someone's boredom until you have to give them a little dopamine to keep them hooked? Like it's, I mean, like people are really, really outgunned and, yeah. uh, yeah. I, mean, I don't know if that's, who knows what to do about that. Yeah. So again, I think, I think we should end here. Yeah, another depressing ending. <laughs> every single one of these. Let's do something uplifting next episode. Yeah, we say that every time. I know. Happens. Okay, next time we'll be happy or positive. As always, know. thank you to our sponsor, Tuck Bar and Yoga, the premier boutique bar and yoga studio in Philadelphia. Bar that burns. Yoga that melts. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>